Roxo Media House. Welcome to Fortitude, folks. Uh, I am J.W. Wilson, your host. Today, we have a special episode sponsored by Captex Bank. Bank, thank you, Captex, for making all this happen for us. Today's guest is a friend of mine and a very experienced and well-known, in my opinion, graphite artist, among other things, a man by the name of Woodrow Blagg. Woodrow, thank you for joining us here on Fortitude. It's great. It's a great pleasure to have you. Thank you, J.W. I'm glad to be Glad to be here. Woody, as we call you affectionately, Woody, we'd like to talk about your life a little bit, if you don't mind indulging us, but um, let's start from the very beginning, if you don't mind. Where were you born, and tell us a little about your childhood. Well, um, I was born with my twin brother in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, twin brother was David and uh, in 1946, and we lived there for about nine months before um, mother and father, they were both, um, mother was in the Red Cross and dad was in the army. And we um, we went to Heidelberg, Germany for the next four years. What was in Heidelberg, Woody? Uh, that's where my father was based uh, while he was still in the army. And um, so, you know, we had a brother, Jim. He was born there, and that's why we were in Heidelberg. Very nice. What are your What are your recollections of your childhood, mainly, mainly regarding art? And when did art and drawing specifically, when did that reach you? Well, um, <laughs> <coughs> you know, I, I think I was always doodling um, from an early age. Um I think my mom said I was around two years old. I started drawing on the walls. <laughs> um, but I know well before I was in the first grade, I was drawing quite a lot. So it started pretty early. Uh, couldn't tell you where it came from, uh, but it, it certainly showed up early. Any influences or educators that stand out to you? Well, over time... Um, all during, you know, elementary school and junior high school and high school, there were lots of influences through movies and, um, artists, of course, um, you know, we all read comic books in the back and, um, and there was a, uh, ad on the back of the comic book saying a draw me contest, um, by some art school and up in Connecticut and the featured uh, teachers were well-known illustrators at the time. And that was kind of an influence. Um, um, certainly NC Wyeth who um, did all of the Nathaniel Hawthorne um, novels. Right. And, um, and so those were great illustrations. Um so there are, you know, similar things of that nature. Um, certainly, I remember watching Ben-Hur as a kid in 59, and um, the opening credits featured Michelangelo's 
uh, Sistine Chapel painting, The Creation of Adam. And um, that was a very influential moment for me. It um, inspired me to uh, uh, copy a lot of his work back then. Um, and also learned about Raphael and Leonardo da Vinci. So, you know, briefly said, um, th those were the most memorable parts of being inspired by, um, by other artists. Thank you for that. Did you know early on, Woody, that art being an artist was where you were headed in your life? And also you mentioned some really the world's most famous painters, a couple of them, uh, why graphite art versus painting or did you, did you do both early on? Well, I, I, I just, uh, like drawing, um, I like paper and, um, the, the, there wasn't a lot of uh, sophisticated art stores in West Texas and in um, small Oklahoma towns where you could get or even know about, you know, oil paintings or watercolors. It's just, you know, back then, it, I don't remember them being around. They may have. I just wasn't aware of them. And it really didn't matter. I just enjoyed drawing a great deal. Um, so, you know, um, that's one of the reasons, uh, I just, I was, I was at peace when I was drawing. I felt that I was doing something that I was very connected to. It, it, it enlivened my imagination and I was always anticipating to see what the image would look like. So, you know, and once again, in brief, uh, that's, that's why I kept going on. Fantastic. Did you now when you were, uh, back from Germany, did you, you got your parents move you to Fort Worth or Dallas, Fort Worth area before you went to the Pennsylvania fine arts Academy? Is that correct? No. Um, got that reversed. Yeah, my my father traveled around a bit with with David and Jim and I and Mom. Uh, he was trying to look for a job when he got out of the service. I know we were in in um, Arizona and New Mexico briefly, and and uh, I think in 1951, Dad found work in uh, Purcell, Oklahoma, and. So we were there from 1951 to 1956, the summer of 1956. And from 56 to 1959, we lived in Seminole, Texas. And we lived in town briefly, and then we moved on a 300-acre cotton farm. And uh, we loved being out on the farm as kids. It was, it was just you know, like you could just roam all over that open country and it was very exciting. So, um, you know, from 51 to 59 in Oklahoma and West Texas. And this probably spurred your love of the outdoors and more specifically ranches, I'm guessing, correct? Well, hard to say. Um, I know that we had a lot of fun being out. Um, 
there was a dog that strayed on to our property and it turned out to be a Brittany Spaniel and he adopted us. We adopted him and, you know, we could hunt quail and, and other game. Um, just, so it was for a kid. It was, it was a great adventure to be in that kind of open space. And, um, I, I would say that, certainly made an impression um did i plan to be a western artist no um once we moved to dallas uh quite a lot changed for us um you know so just adjusting to a very different kind of environment uh was was an adjustment and it took a while before we were able to settle in. You know, as kids, before, you know, when we missed being in that open space and we missed all that uh, freedom that that space provided for us as children, mom and dad were both working. So we had a lot of free reign among ourselves. And uh, once we moved to Dallas, the whole dynamic of that existence changed dramatically and not quite the freedom we had before <laughs> what year and did you move to dallas woody it would have been in november of 1959 what it was you how would you describe your relation with your siblings obviously those who know you know but you're we're all you're, pretty you're, close uh we were all pretty close uh, dennis and danny uh kind of rallied around what i was doing and uh, before long, they were doing a lot of artwork, too. And we all three kind of um, would huddle on a table and we'd try to, you know, compete against each other or for each other. It, it worked both ways. Um, but I, I, it, to me, it was inspiring to be around them. Uh, they were they were very good and uh, they seemed to have the same passion and doing the work that I was doing. So we, I think we inspired each other. Any competitiveness within the, the sibling rivalries? Uh, you know, I think that happened later in, in adult life uh, where the sibling rivalry showed up. Um, I think uh, we were all trying to gain a foothold into establishing our, our, our work and ourselves. And at that time we were, you know, we, we weren't so-called discovered if that's what you want to say. And, uh, we were all struggling to find a niche and a place to make a living making our artwork. Very good. So the Dallas years, how long in Dallas before the next, um, big life transition? Yeah, that was a kind of a um, roller coaster time. Uh, we lived in Dallas from 59 to 1960. And we moved to Louisville, Texas, where my father got, I think he bought a restaurant. And um, we were there for a year and a half before we moved back to Dallas. And um, there are a couple of teachers that were in Louisville in the early 60s 
one was a math teacher and the other one was an English teacher. And they were impressed with the artwork that I was doing. And they gave me a little exhibit in one of the classrooms during the spring break. And the local paper made an article on it. And so I got a little recognition there um, for the first time at the tender age of 13 or 14 years old. And so suddenly people were paying attention and other students were, and I didn't know what to do with that kind of attention. So, right. <laughs> you know, I really wasn't there, but it was just part of part of what going on. And it was a lot of fun, but we moved back to Dallas, Dallas, um, Beck and dad again, we moved around quite a bit during the early sixties. And, um, he opened the first Old South Pancake House, and David and Jim and I worked there um, during after school, and eventually, uh, you know, wound up in South Oak Cliff, uh, Winwood Park, and Dal and Dad bought his own restaurant, and it was called Woody's Pancake House. And so that's where we were for the the following three or four years. Gotcha. Then what happened to you? Well, I think, uh, you know, those were the high school, junior high school years. And, um, were they memorable for you? Well, uh, I, I they weren't nothing really memorable. They were kind of whatever student goes through at that age. I continued to draw uh, every day, um, but other things were showing up, um, you know, um, it didn't interfere with my artwork. Uh, the only thing that interfered with my artwork is when I, you know, joined the service in um, 1965. Um, it was either going to be drafted by the Army or I was going to enlist. And I enlisted in the Air Force. And, uh, you know, and so once I enlisted in the Air Force, it was the first time in my life that I didn't draw every day. So, um, you know, you you adjust to that. And wound up going to Germany, um, was there for a year and a half, and uh, got in trouble because of the artwork I was doing. So uh, me and the Air Force parted ways with each other. <laughs> Can you elaborate on the trouble you're speaking of? Well, I'd be drawing, you know, there'd be a class for, um, you, we had to take classes once you get out of boot camp and training and, and you're assigned a base and a duty. I was a military policeman or air police and, you take classes on the job training and um, I was mostly drawing pictures during classwork. <laughs> okay. So um, that, and you know, just, you know, I was 18 year old kid, um, just not mature enough to, uh, realize you know what i should be doing so um 
but it was it was quite an experience uh, and you know there are parts of germany i liked a great deal um and um you know that's about it J, jw gotcha gotcha okay you survived the, the your military service uh obviously um what, what's the next step in your life well i went back to dallas um and married my high school sweetheart and uh, wrote her a lot during my time in germany and then of course um i got a job um working in dallas love field and um at, at an air freight company and um i went to art school you know during the day so um and I did that for two years, and I really was getting at a point in my age. I was now like, I don't know, 21, 22. Um, and I really wanted to go to a good art school. And so I wrote to the Chicago Art Institute, and I wrote a letter to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And um, I wanted to find out about their schools. I had no idea what they were going to be like. Um, I know being at the little art school, I think it's called the Dallas Art Institute on McKinney Avenue. It certainly was a small place. And I met a couple of guys there, and we were both, all three of us were pretty serious about so-called fine art. And we went there initially, initially to be illustrators. And, but once, I, I think that the age, the time, uh, in the late 60s and everything that was going on in the world, I felt like being an illustrator might not accomplish as much as I thought maybe fine arts would. And so that was my pursuit. Um, and I learned with those two guys and a couple of them I'm still friends with. And, uh, we do tend to try to see each other when, when I'm in Texas and, um, they've been great friends for a long time, but we inspired each other. And I eventually got a big letter from the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, as well as I also wrote um, an artist uh, who was living in New Mexico, very well known um, back then, and his name eludes me right now, just momentarily. Peter Hurd is his name. And I went to visit Peter Hurd to see if he took students. And Peter um, said he doesn't take students, but he was very helpful and generous and giving me information and suggested I do go to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And so we wrote a couple of letters to each other in the ensuing year or two. And eventually I went to the Academy for a visit and was very impressed and made the decision to go to, to move to Philadelphia and go to the Academy of Fine Arts. Well done. Fair, fair question to ask, Woody. Did you know at that time that you had a talent for for drawing? I mean, obviously you've been doing it for a while, and people have said things, and you've won a few awards here and there. But did you know yourself that you had you had a gift in this world for in that in that respect? Uh, 
Well, I, I felt that I did. Um, I felt that I had it through school. Um, yeah, I, I felt that I was ahead of the curve a little bit. Uh, but once I went to the academy, I mean, we're talking now 1970 and through the early 70s. So there was much going on in the art world. Andy Warhol, all of the abstract artists, the photorealism. It was an explosion of these multi uh, different um, forms of expression. And they were all dominant in the art market and the art world. And it was very imposing and if not intimidating. Um, there were talent that exceeded anything that I was used to experiencing. And I realized at that point that I had a lot to learn. Did you ever have a chance to meet any of those, in those folks, uh, in that, that, uh, decade? What the people I just mentioned? Few of them. Yes. But people in that art, in the world of art at that time, obviously were, you mentioned Andy Warhol, but there's no, no, those guys were too well known and too, um, um, different circles. Yeah. Just different circles there. Um, you know, and I had, I had my own thing going on at the Academy because now at this very prestigious school, um, there, there were other talents and uh, there were guys who did sculpture and printmaking and paintings and they were great artists. Um, and so it was a good gut check for me. And I realized I have a lot to learn. And yeah, I've got talent and a specific kind of skill that I'm still honing. But as far as having an aesthetic background or having an intellectual background on, on the various ways of art making and even in art history, I did not know a great deal about art history. I knew some. But I realized that I had a lot to learn very quickly. <laughs> and learning you did. I mean, I, I know you well enough to tell you to, to tell people that you're a bit of an art historian, if not full fledged. I mean, you know more about this art world than I gather most people on earth right now. It's, it's, it's one of the fascinating I don't know things about that, but I, I certainly have um, paid attention. Let's put it that way. I paid attention and I think that it helped serve what I wanted to do with my work. Any favorite uh, graphite artists that aren't yourself? Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's one guy. He was an illustrator. Damn it. Um, oh, I wish I could think of his name right off the bat. Yeah. He was an illustrator. He did pencil work, graphite work. I thought it was very exciting. Um, he was like out of the fifties and sixties. Uh, and he, he turned to painting during the 70s and 80s. Um, but I preferred, his, I've, I preferred his graphite work. It just had a charge to it. And though he was a very accomplished painter, I thought the paintings didn't have the vitality that the drawings had. And, um, and so, you know, it's just something that, that I remembered. It's like when the paintings that he did were so meticulously done, it's like all the windows are shut. It's all done. But with the, with the drawing, there's an openness in the space. And 
it, it, it just, if you do, for me to express what is called a successful drawing, it has a charge to it. It has a certain animated feeling and it's open-ended all the way from left to right and top to bottom. Yes, sir. How would you say you exited the Pennsylvania Fire Academy versus how you entered? What, what changed in you or in your art from start to finish? Well, um, I think the biggest, one of the biggest developments for me, because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to make it. I was married and I had financial pressures going on. I wasn't showing anywhere in the first couple of years. And I'm saying, how am I going to do this? And um, I, I went to a little gallery in Chatsford, Pennsylvania, and there was a watercolorist who's about my age, maybe a year or two younger. And he was having a show there. His name was Peter Sculthorpe. And so I went to see his work. And I was enlivened by it. I thought it was very exciting work. And eventually I met Peter and actually we had studios across from each other, you know, in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And that was a big moment. That's when I decided, I think I can do this. I tried to get into a gallery, do some artwork. And there was a place in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, and a guy named George Scarlett, who was really wonderful, and he was a wonderful guy. I could spend an hour talking about him. But he was very uh, enthusiastic about my work and really encouraged me. And I, he also gave me my first show, um, which I was terrified. But uh, <laughs> he was very supportive, and I had a modest first exhibit there and wound up selling half the show. And um, so that was a benchmark. That when it made the, that gave me confidence, and it helped. And with his support, I felt that I could successfully show there for the following few years. And that's what happened. Uh, so George Scarlett was a um, was instrumental in in help me make a determination that I'm going to be. I made the determination I'm going to be an artist, whether whether it succeeds or not. Very good. Well, thank you, George Scarlett, for what you, for what you did. Um, yeah. He and I were friends up till his death, which happened three or four years ago. So I always went out to George. Very nice. So you graduate from the Academy. You're doing, you have your first several shows. You realize there is a future in this, obviously economically for you, given the right circumstances. Uh, yeah, I didn't get rich and, you know, I right. could make money. I, I was making enough money to get in trouble with. And, um, you know, but with each ensuing show, the work got a little more developed and the artwork became a little bit more ambitious and I could challenge myself. Uh, I knew I still had a lot to learn and uh, I wasn't going to kid myself. Uh, 
And I realized that it was going to be a struggle. And I took it on. I just said, you know, that's what I have to do. Your first several shows, Woody, what type of, of uh, drawings are you doing, similar to what you do later in life? Well, there were a lot of watercolors I did. Uh, one of the people I met while I was in art school was another kid named Walt Hughes. And Walt came from a large family like I did. We became friends right away. And Walt went to watercolor like a duck to water. I struggled with it for a while afterwards um, before I was able to make some good inroads. But uh, Walt was, uh, Walt and I were pretty close. In fact, we're still close. He's been in Virginia now for a number of years, but we stay in touch monthly. And uh, so a combination of George Scarlett and my friend with Walt, who really became an excellent watercolor painter. And um, all of those things were very exciting to be around and be a part of. And so my first shows at, at Scarlett's, there were drawings, definitely. And, um, but I was doing a lot of watercolor at the time and a lot of it was, you know, inspired also by a, a painter who lived in Chad's Ford, by the name of Andrew Wyeth, who was N.C. Wyeth's son. So we were all inspired by Wyeth's work in the country and because we could relate to it easier than anything else. And one of the reasons that that uh, I didn't I, I sort of started to step back from doing the watercolors is that I felt it was, it was too close to Wyatt, and I didn't want that to be around to hang over my head, you know, where he looks like he's a Wyatt clone, right? You know, and so. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, so I just learned some other things to be involved with. And um, during that time, because of the financial difficulties that I would go through, there was no stable income coming in. You know, my marriage started to uh, um, get tested. And, of course, I think eventually we separated and got divorced but remained on very friendly terms. And, and I realized that I just had to take a break from a lot. And I wound up going to Texas to visit my brother on the ranch, uh, the Wagner ranch. And I was blown away by that experience visiting Jim on the Wagner and a half a million acre ranch. It was, it was quite an experience. And this would open up a whole new segment of your life, spending time on active working ranches, developing your craft, drawing, yeah, all those I, things, correct? I decided to move to Texas in, in uh, late winter of 78. And I think it was in 78 or 79, maybe it was 79. Um, I asked Jim if he would call Boots O'Neill, the wagon boss, and let me come out for three or four days and photographed the ranch and he did that. And I went to the Wagner's, you know, that weekend that 
tornado hit Wichita Falls, and there were five tornadoes on the ranch as well. So it was very dramatic weather-wise to be there, and it's just you, 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 it was just a very um, strange and unusual um, going through Wichita Falls, and it just looked like it was been bombed out. And so many of the shrubs and trees were torn up on the ranch. And at the same time, there was an excitement about being there because all the cowboys, they were just coming of age and they were in their late teens, early 20s. So, you know, it was just a lot of young guys uh, doing this. And they brought in this large herd, which was ready to stampede because of the storms. And they couldn't bring the herd to the pens because all the trucks were getting caught in the mud and so forth. So they decided to brand in the open field. And that was, that was pretty amazing. So being a part of that and the clouds were real low, you had very dramatic weather going on. So it, it was just very exciting to, I didn't, I don't, I, I think I had three or four rolls of film. Um, and, and so I really had to use a lot of jurisprudence to make sure I was taking the right pictures. I didn't know exactly where I was going to go with it, but I was just taking pictures like crazy. And um, Boots O'Neill, once I got to the spot, where they were located, um, Boots was was very generous and, and gracious and said, Mr. Black, anything you need us to help you out with, let us know. And um, no, it, it, it left a mark. I was deeply moved by his generosity, uh, extending his warmth and graciousness to someone he didn't know before and who had a beard and long hair and wore a a band around his head. Um, yeah, I, I was impressed. I'm glad so, you. I'm glad you said that, Woody, because my next question was, how did you capture these images? Obviously, with with a camera, and what was the what was the relationship with you and the in the the, the hands? Because you were there in a an artistic capacity. Are these guys bringing you in as their own? Are they kind of treating you differently because you're an artist? Are you are you one and the same with the Cowboys? Are you helping no, out? I, I really loved all of them. I just felt there, you know, at this point, in, I'm in my early 30s. So these guys are, you know, 10 years younger than me. And I can't say we connected right away, but they were curious uh, about me to an extent. I certainly was impressed with all of their vigor and energy. And, you know, uh, the thing about youth gathered in a certain way as they all were, there must've been at least 12 of these guys. Most of them were brothers or, or, you know, from one family, they were either cousins or brothers and, and they were, they were all pretty amazing. And, uh, they were, um, friendly uh, I wouldn't say that we had a close-knit operation, but over the following two or three years, I did establish a relationship with them. I worked, decided 
that when I came to the ranch, I was going to do what I can to be of some help. And I did flank cattle with them when the roundup was brought the cattle to the pens and did as much work as I could be along to help um, as well as I could take my photographs. So I think that helped establish a relationship that I have been able to keep for the, for all these years. I still have cowboy friends of mine I've known since the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I'm still in touch with, so I feel real fortunate. But, you know, being on the ranch, JW, it changed me. It changed my artwork. And at that time, I wasn't the biggest fan of so-called Western art. But what I experienced out there was more than just Western art. It was, it was the, just the vast openness of half a million acres. And watching all of these young guys work together, it was very infectious, very exciting, and, and it was a great adventure. And as opposed to making a picture to look important, I learned how to make a picture that belonged to an experience of being somewhere that was pretty special. Right. How many, Woody, how many different ranches or what different ranches did you get to have this experience with? Was there multiple ranch, ranch experiences? Uh, the majority of it was at the Wagner's. I was, however, at the Beggs Ranch in Post, Texas. I was at the Four Sixes two or three times. Um, I was at the, uh, <clears throat> the Pitchfork Ranch as well. Um, Keen Sabi Ranch up near the Panhandle. And I was at the Bell Ranch in Tucumcari, New Mexico. Did these ranch owners and, and or ranch hands ever get to see what their what these photographs turned into? Were they were they privileged enough to see what what the art became? What did the ranches see? What the art became? Correct. Um, no, it, it, I don't think that happened. It just, I think the ranch management and all of that. I mean, I I could share it with the cowboys. You know, but I didn't have, there were no cell phones back then, let's face it. So I couldn't take pictures of them, show it on your cell phone. Um, I do remember getting some 8 by 10 um, prints made from some of my drawings. And around the early 80s, uh, 